Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I'm a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And I am Sam, nurse, podcaster, powerlifter, co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are bringing on someone you would not expect from our NICU world. Right. A birthing doula. Yes, absolutely. So we discovered her, Miss Hehe, Miss Haley Stewart. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is selfie energy all the way. And there's so many things in today's episode that I think all of you are going to really learn from. And I don't know, today was just, I learned a lot. You learned a lot. She's adorable, by the oh, way. She's, she's so cute. I like want to have a drink with her. But I don't know. I think it's really good for us to, one, check our own bias mm-hmm. and learn how to have a good conversation sometimes with people that you would have thought that maybe you wouldn't have agreed with oh for sure and that leads into today's unpopular opinion I love when Tori has an unpopular opinion yes so let's hear it because this is very selfie energy you guys um going against your tribe is needed and it's conversations like this like the conversation we're going to have today that really start to move the needle so you know today is really interesting because i think we are having a conversation that i actually think does really kind of go against like nicu 101 right like the things that we do the 1% of the babies that we care for but this today's conversation is so much bigger and these are the kind of conversations that we want to be having pushing the needle forward and really opening our mind to sort of the global picture like how can we be better and sometimes that does require us to kind of go against the tribe because our tribe is NICU yeah and healthcare and medical based and I think there's a beautiful marriage here there's a beautiful marriage in today's message in today's episode I think the unpopular opinion here is sometimes being open to hearing other opinions almost because yeah I feel like we get very set in our ways I know I'm a very set in my way kind of human being (laughs) And it really is hard to go against your tribe, whether that even be like family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like for me, I can speak to that from a personal level of someone who's like politically gone so completely far from my own family. Right. And it is hard to like go against your tribe and think differently and be the one that's kind of open minded, open minded and more different to other things. And it's hard, but I think that's how we grow and we learn from other people by sometimes just being open and stepping away from your tribe and saying, all right, well, what else is out there? Well, and I think we're also in a big time right now of learning and unlearning. This is like, we're just all in that space right now of, okay, let's open our mind to the things that maybe we were taught or, or learned from whatever it is, our upbringing, our profession, um, our careers, like what we want out of life. And, today's conversation truly is one of these moments and we're really excited about today yes so today we have he he also known as Haley but mm-hmm. he he Stewart she's the founder of tranquility by <laughs> tranquility you guys you I'm, guys. Not, I'm not even gonna edit that out I'm sorry <laughs> go for it tranquility by he he maternity concierge so and also the creator of the birth lounge it's a membership and podcast she has a master's degree in human development and family studies and 10 years in the family life education field tranquility by hehe is a maternity concierge doula and birthing service providing in-person virtual and travel birth and postpartum support their mission is to provide families with high quality holistic individualized doula services in an empowering and nurturing environment while feeling informed and in control of labor without fear or coercion and we will get into that absolutely he he also hosts the birth lounge podcast which features leading experts in pregnancy women's health and newborn development 
Today, we're getting into doula 101, bridging the gap in healthcare, why doulas are so essential in the birthing process, understanding the role of a doula in the birthing process. And today, we're really learning and unlearning, and so much of the maternal patient population really deserves our input as to how we can improve outcomes. It's imperative that all these parents have access to judgment-free spaces, educators, and support. That's why today we really wanted to have this conversation. Without further ado, let's get into it with Ms. Haley Hehe Stewart. Okay, wait, first of all, Hehe, where did this come from? I want to know, is this your nickname? It is. So my real name is Haley Elise because, of course, I'm from Mississippi, so everyone down there has double names. And when I went to college and we used to drink a little much and I was a wanderer and my friends could not say Haley Elise, so it turned into H-E for a brief, like, semester or two. And then that morphed into he-he and I went to grad school as he-he and I started my business as he-he and now I'm just... I'm he. But Got that's it, so cute. It is. It is. It's, it's fun. And it's it catchy. Me. Yeah. Totally. No, because you are hey. like the cutest little thing ever, though, too. Oh, like, thanks. you just like look like someone that I'm like, okay, you probably were super fun in college. So I'm like, you would look like someone I just want to go have a little happy hour with. Heck yeah. yeah. I'm happy yeah. hour. Brunch yes. the next day, late brunch. Queen. Yes. But yes. Absolutely. Well, okay. But actually, at brunch, are you getting a mimosa? Or, or a Bloody Mary. What are you getting? Bloody. All the way. Yes! Gotta have the pickle. Gotta have the okra. Oh, yeah. You put a little baby corn in it. Oh, I found my queen. So I, found my I queen. feel like this is something we need to start asking every guest because Tori and I are sworn enemies on this topic. Oh, no. And it's funny because everyone's opinions are so strong one way or the yeah. other. You either like yeah. love or hate. So I feel like that's yeah. how we divide. Yes. The, we divide and conquer. Yeah, but I'm like, we should start screening all our guests. Are you a Bloody Mary person or a mimosa person? Yeah, there we go. All right, well, I'm sorry that you're wrong, but I still I like know. you. You're my kind of girl, hee hee. I love it. <laughs> I love it's it. It's okay, Tori loves you. I do, I do. Well, speaking of long, let's go along that bloodline. Um, what is your unpopular opinion? Oh my goodness, I have a million unpopular opinions. <laughs> my We're here for number them. one unpopular opinion probably is that the majority of births should be done at home oh (laughs) talking to NICU nurses you are I love it super unpopular right yeah yeah but I think I'm I'm open to learning I'm actually really glad you're here because I want you to change my mind on home births me too because I will tell you that I've historically been very against them and I've been vocal yeah. against them to even like people in my family where I'm like all it takes is one like you know what I mean right. and I'm, you've heard it I'm yeah. sure you've gotten all yeah. the pushback so I'm really glad yeah. that you're here because I respect what you do and yeah. I do want to learn from you absolutely and I am very open to like having these conversations that will teach me and you know yeah. open me to I just things. got the chills full body <laughs> chills these are the conversations that we've got to be having to move medicine forward like if mm-hmm. we are going to start to bridge that gap between healthcare 
workers, the healthcare system and the consumers mm-hmm. and actually bettering outcomes for people, actually starting to focus on patient experience, patient satisfaction, safety of nurses, satisfaction of our healthcare staff. Like these are the conversations we have to start having. And they're kind of hard to have. They're a little bit difficult. Oh, yeah. There might be some awkward moments. There might be some moments where you're like, you just don't even know what the mm-hmm. things I have seen. But on the opposite end of that spectrum or the person that's sitting in the opposite chair from you, they're thinking the same thing, right? That you just don't know the good things that I've seen come from home birth. So mm-hmm. should we yeah. dive in? Do you want to ask Let's questions? Do you want me to just like spill or what? <laughs> yes, Queen. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting is like what you even said is people can't have those conversations. If you probably asked Tori and I to have this conversation with you about it five years ago, I would have been very close-minded. Right. And I would have been like, I don't care what you have to say because what what I've seen, I'm against it. And I don't care what you tell, like, you know what I mean? I just feel like I'm a lot more open to that. And the funny thing now is we look at our like maternal health rates that are absolute dog shit. And I'm like, who am I to sit here and say how, my, be so strongly against home births when our own maternal health rates yeah there you go maternal That's mortality rates are, are horrible trash. so i'm like yeah, all right yeah. well shows what what i mean i feel like i don't have much of a leg to stand on these days well maybe so. starting with that right yeah. what are some of the yeah. biggest misconceptions mm-hmm. that women have about birthing the birth process let's like start there So let's start with the birth process. So I think the number one misconception of the birth process is that it's this really uncontrollable, unpredictable, you have no idea what's going to happen and you're absolutely (laughs) destined to like lose your shit during the process. All of those are completely like just a big old fat lie. Like they are just you know, it's a message that we get from social media. It's a message that we get from music and movies and comedy. If you look at all of the information that we get about birth, we're inundated with this idea that birth is this scary, uncontrollable event. Now, there is a portion of birth that is uncontrollable. That's nature. We'll never be able to control nature, right? Tornadoes, heart attacks, disease, that kind of stuff. Birth falls in the same category. However, along the way, there are are a ton of choices. Actually, um, we teach over 170 choices that you'll be faced with throughout the birth process and within those first two hours after your baby is born that you'll need to think through and make. We go ahead and teach that to you before you're in labor so that when you're in labor, you just kind of get into a flow, right? It To birth a baby, it requires you to trust your body, and that requires you to have confidence in your body, and the way that you build that confidence is learning what your body is designed to do. Now, there is a healthy respect, and there will be a subset of the population that are high-risk birthers that are not going to be appropriate for things like laboring at home for the majority of their labor, um, V-backing, home birth, declining an IV in labor. Some things, some individual risks are going to risk a subset of people out of those things. But for the majority you can decline a lot because your body was designed to do this. Now, hitting on the fact that in America, we have 99% of births that happen in the hospital system. You mentioned our maternal mortality rates 
and their infant mortality rates mm-hmm. are complete right. shit. Like they are right. in the gutter. They've constantly been declining. We aren't getting better. We're actually getting worse. And if you are a person of color, you're four times more likely to die in childbirth, to die in a natural thing that your body was designed to do. And the only answer for that is intervention. And where is that intervention happening? It's happening in the hospitals on the L&D units. And it's just either old practice or systemic racism or a complete total failure on the systems part typically putting profits over people putting profits yeah. over the actual humans that you are serving right um everything oh, comes down yes. to a bottom line and so when i look at the system and I, I try and look at the dysfunctional pieces it typically falls into one of those three umbrellas when we look outside the u.s places like sweden austria the netherlands they have amazing birth stats and you know what they have in common All midwifery practices are the majority of the model there, and most of their births happen in home. Not everybody has an OBGYN, which is another misconception that people have. Oh, I'm pregnant. I need an OBGYN. Well, an OBGYN is a surgeon. They're actually a specialty. They're a subset specialty, right? Um, They were never intended to be the majority caregiver for low-risk births. They they are trained to intervene. They are trained to look at birth as a medical event. And in most cases, it's not. And OBGYN is appropriate for that subset of people who we spoke about having those additional risk factors that then make them high risk. Things like gestational hypertension, um, gestational diabetes, um, you know, pups, heart syndrome, disease. totally seizure disorders. Um, you know, there are a ton of things. We have a number of clients actually that have POTS. Um, there are a ton of things that will risk you out. Um, anyone who is carrying a baby um, with Down syndrome is going to need to birth in the hospital because those babies are more likely to need the NICU. Someone who has con confirmed diagnosis of interuterine growth restriction. However, it's pretty hard to determine that. We know that the research and even ACOG does say that it's very hard to determine what's just small for gestational age versus actual IUGR. Um, But real medical diagnoses that are confirmed are going to knock you out of things like that, Mm. as it should be. You need a surgeon on your team. You need to birth in the hospital. Let's go back to the very beginning. Um, Let's talk about your story into, into this line of work and your background and where this all started. Yeah. So I always joke around that if you told me when I was in college that I would be Eventually searing into the depths of people's vaginas for a living, I would have like laughed you (laughs) off the couch, right? Um, However, it is so funny how all of my pieces have perfectly lined up to be this like perfect puzzle. Um, I have a master's in human development and family studies, and I actually thought I was going to move to Boston and work with children on the autism spectrum. It was a passion of mine. Um, I had a background in infant development and child development, and I had also dabbled in uh, the spectrum work, right? When I moved to Boston, uh, I was not able to get my foot in the door in any sort of spectrum work at all. Um, and I had plans to go back to school for uh, my ABA. 
also didn't work out. Um, so I decided to go back to what I knew, which was infant development. And I was in early childhood for a number of years. And I did early intervention as well, in-home early intervention for uh, children zero to three. Um, and I just was not happy. I just didn't like it. It was not what I wanted to do. I never wanted to be a teacher. The classroom felt so suffocating to me being in um like a state run program was so suffocating to me as well. I would just felt like my wings were clipped at every corner. I was trying to do better and, and help these families. And I just couldn't because of all the rules that were put into place. Um, and eventually I started my business in 2016 and then I took it full time in 2018. Um, someone actually in the classroom said, you know, do you know anything about being a doula? And I was like, I don't, know what that is and they were like oh yeah you help people have babies and I was like well I've had a couple friends that have had babies you know Mississippi teen pregnancies they're up there I've had a couple people I know kind of what the process like tell me more and she was like yeah you basically are like a coach for pregnant people um and when I started to work with infants and their families I realized that these parents come to you and drop their newborn baby off and they have a ton of emotions running through them they're really nervous they're typically going back to work too. So they're gaining a little bit of normalcy. So there's a little bit of excitement. That excitement then translates into guilt because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually happy to hand my newborn baby over to a stranger. Oh shit, that's right. I'm handing my baby over to a newborn stranger. I'm a little scared about this, right? Haven't been back to work for eight weeks. So I'm a little nervous about that. And when I looked into how to better support these parents I actually found that there wasn't much you could do from birth to the time they dropped their baby off with you, that it started way before that, that most people were coming out of birth traumatized. And so when someone said you should be a doula, you have literally the perfect energy. I had all of this infant background that I could get to these people the minute that their babies were born, the day your baby was born, I'm your doula. I'm already with you. I have all of this infant knowledge. All I needed to learn quote unquote, for listeners that can't see me, like all I needed to learn was the birth stuff. And wowzer, it was so deep. Um, you know, I've been doing this mm. for six years now, and I still feel like I have a ton of things to learn. Um, As we all do, we're all continually yeah. learning, right? Yeah. Um, I w- I'm really curious, can you really break down the role of doulas? And I know yeah. there's different types of doulas, For those of us, I mean, I feel like it's interesting because a lot of us, even in healthcare, are somewhat unfamiliar with this. This is like kind of a, for us, a newer thing, but I feel like, you know, kind of thinking and going back to what you were saying, women, you know, when you go back historically, had babies at home, right? And they were surrounded by women who were typically familiar with the birth process. And I think as we've gone through generation after generation, we just have less and less of that available in our homes, right? Like we're not even like the age old saying, like it takes a village because back in the day, it literally was like someone's having a baby and it's like, it takes a village. Like the women in that community would be help deliver the baby and then help in those early, like postpartum period and everything like that. And yeah, as like we work in healthcare, but we really only know what yeah. we know on our end. And honestly, doing my own little research, the little I've done, and I have so many questions for you today. Like, I already know I'm going to be hiring a doula, like eventually one day, hopefully yeah. one day. Like that is something for me. She's but I'm fly you in. Yeah, totally. I'm gonna be Boston. like, girl, you're coming over. But I really want to know from day one, like, what is 
what are doulas and like the scope of doulas like in what, terms what of is the um actual just like process of becoming one I guess or what yeah like if I decided today like you know I want to be a doula like what yeah. does the what education does that like? for that take yeah for training yeah okay so now you guys have kind of stumbled into some gray area right so let's first tackle what is a doula a doula is going to be a non-medical person who helps support you during pregnancy and birth physically emotionally educationally and mentally so not mental health counseling but encouragement you can do this trust your body you know keeping your mindset on the straight and narrow you also have postpartum doulas who are going to provide that same support postpartum so they typically have um breastfeeding knowledge as well and some infant development knowledge postpartum doulas also may provide overnight service or daytime care so uh, tranquility by he he that's my business we are a little bit different than a traditional doula service we are a maternity concierge so we're high touch um you have a 24-hour concierge line to us um all of our girls are required to have a college degree in a relevant field um so the the scope of practice for a doula is really super a gray area and that is because uh, the training is all over the place as well. There's no standardization in the industry. Every doula, quote unquote, certifying organization gets to make up their own rules, regulations, and requirements for being a doula. So some you're going to find are a two-day course over a weekend and at the end of it, you're a certified doula. Some of them will be an 18-month program all online, but every week you have mentor calls. So each program is going to have their pros and cons and their particular offerings. Um, you know, that leads to A, a lot of confusion about the role, B, no scope of practice for us to truly follow, and then C, it really is left in the hands of that particular doula to design what they want their support to look like. So, for example, I knew that the um, lack of standardization in the doula world was very concerning to me. I knew that that left big gaping holes of quality of care. Continuity of care is something that my partner's in healthcare, is something that he works on very tediously. I also believe in continuity of care. I think that it will lead to better outcomes, patient safety, and also keep our healthcare teams all on the same page and performing at the highest um, you know, performance possible. So continuity of care for me was really important. I now require everyone on our team to have a degree. I said that, um, you know, our girls also required to do continuing education, which not all doulas are going to do that. So it really comes down to finding a match for you. What do you find important for the person that's going to help you be at your birth? Some people are not looking for that education or that professionalism, and they are truly looking for someone on an energetic level, spiritually, that they can connect with and could not care less about their knowledge. They are there for that presence, that person's presence at their birth. I like to think our team is able to do all three, professionalism, um, high education, and be connected to our clients on a spiritual level so that we can bring that calming and grounding energy to their birth. I feel like that helps give kind of a good breakdown of what to even look for if you're looking for a doula. Absolutely. Which was what I was going to ask. And then I was like, oh, I don't even have to. Right. Like, this is perfect. But so one thing I kind of want to know is then when you started this, how did you kind of even just grow this whole practice and 
build up that community? Because like you said, most people like get pregnant and they feel like I need to seek out an OBGYN. So how did you even kind of build this yeah. um, practice yeah. that you have? Right. Yeah. Um, so not the most professional answer. I am quite a woo woo type of gal. Um, Love. And so, you and Tori are like besties. I, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> when I took the your woo woo. Absolutely. We can like get together and rub crystals and like flip tarot cards <laughs> yes, um, yes. into it. I'll bring the bloody. Uh, okay, um, perfect. So when I took doula training, I two things happened. I realized this was after I had had a master's and I realized like, wow, the, this is a weekend course and now we're going to be like set free to attend one of the most pivotal moments in someone's life. Like I have a master's degree. The people that took the training with me, most of them were there because they had had a really great birth and they wanted it for other people or they had had a really bad birth and they wanted to avoid that for other people. And for me, I was like, wow, I actually have this very deep formal education in this and I still feel not prepared to go into these labors. This makes me super concerned. So from the very beginning, I was like, we are going to do everything evidence-based. There's no question about it. We should be following the most up-to-date standards for maternity care. That was before I realized that our country had such terrible maternity stats. And then even more, I was like, all right, evidence-based or bust. Um, And then secondly, I looked around the room and there was nobody like me. There was nobody that I thought I could go get Bloody Marys with and also, you know, talk about my crystals, but also wear fake eyelashes and, you know, go get your toes done on the weekend. Like there was just nobody when I looked around the room that I would feel comfortable having at my birth. And it was right there that I was like, there is a market out there of people who are like me that want to be in control of their birth experience and want to avoid birth trauma, but are also kind of like Pretty girls, if you will, right. you know, like I'm not yeah, scared yeah. of labor, but I also am not interested in free birthing in the woods while the deer watch me. There is a happy medium. And I was like, I'm going to be that person's doula. Um, but instead, I'm going to be your maternity concierge and kick it up a notch or two. Yeah, we absolutely. I absolutely love that. What is I mean, in terms of doula, um, when when a client comes, what is what does your day in the life look like? Oh, yeah. What is the process with your, your intake all the way through, you know, birth? Or what let's is say that? like I'm pregnant. Dear God, please. No, like <laughs> and plan B we trust. But let's pretend that I like called you up. I'm pregnant. Like I come in for my first visit. What's visit one versus through like walk me through my right. pregnancy to baby. Yeah. Um, so some of these are trade secrets, but I'll give you kind of like a little overview. So um, we're going to meet with you about six to eight times before your baby gets here, where traditionally doulas will just meet with you once or twice. Um, mainly traditional doulas are just worried about like, what are your big highlights? In our prenatals, we're actually digging deep down. So in between all of your decision-making, we're also diving into your fears, your concerns, your worries. Um, And alongside that, we are delivering the most up-to-date evidence. Uh, We spend an entire prenatal prepping your partner as well. So that's something that you don't traditionally find. Um, We want your partner to know what they can do to support you in late pregnancy throughout labor. There are three stages, early, active, and then after birth. Um, And your partner's going to be 
hopefully awake and helping you through all of that. Um, we want them to know what not to do. So don't sleep and don't pass out, you know? Um, and then finally, we're also going to spend a couple of prenatals preparing you for postpartum, which I think is lacking all the way around. Um, the L&D units don't do a great job of it because everyone's so focused on the birth. Doulas don't typically spend an uh, exuberant amount of time speaking about it. And so parents are left very unprepared. And then once you get to your pediatrician, you're kind of like, well, my baby's here. I could really use this information beforehand. Right. Um, and childbirth education is traditionally just focused on childbirth. And so we spend a significant amount of time preparing people for what they can experience or what they're going to experience and what they can't expect when they bring their baby home. Um, again, you also have that concierge line. So let's say you're in the grocery store at two o'clock on a Thursday and you have dinner club that night and you're trying to make a charcuterie board, but you don't want to miss out because you're pregnant. It's also at your house. Just pick up the phone and call your doula and like, what cheeses can I eat? And they know the list. So our girls have memorized a oh, ton that. of information, just straight stuff. So, you know, as you know, for supplements, we know the recommended daily values and we're keeping up with the changes that happen there. We know what should be included in your prenatals. These are all things that our team can rattle off uh, from the back of our hand just whenever you call because you need it's like a hotline. You need that. Pregnancy comes along with so many questions. Yeah, I know. If you truly wrote down all of your questions for your OB the next time you saw them, you would spend your 10-minute visit with them, like, shooting, peppering them with questions. <laughs> Can we get that cheese list? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like that's a priority in my life. Not that I yeah. want to be pregnant yeah. at all, but I, the cheese list. Absolutely. Is, that's top of the list that's for all sure. I care about. Um, what's so interesting about this is because, okay, so we're obviously on the opposite end of it, right? We're the, we are the providers who take care of the babies on the other side. And it's so interesting because, um, obviously in our particular patient population, it's unavoidable. Some things, you know, babies are pre-diagnosed with certain things, all the above. But what's interesting to me is there's a lot of things that do happen within that 24 to 48 hours after birth that mm -hmm. parents are just really unfamiliar with. Um, vitamin K, you know, erythromycin to the eyes, which is a standard U.S.-based thing. Um, and it's so interesting to me because so many moms are unfamiliar with all these things and then asking us questions. And I'm curious in terms of, you know, prepping patients, like, what is your approach to this? How do you start educating them and really kind of getting them in tune to not only have birth, but all of these things after birth? Yeah, great question. So again, our approach is totally evidence-based and it should be non-biased. So uh, the training that our team goes through, every new person is onboarded for a year. And so you are trained how to present information as unbiased as possible. Obviously, everyone has their biases. You guys can't unsee what you've seen in the NICU. I'll never be able to unsee what I've seen at home birth. Um, <clears throat> even the transfers that we've had from home birth to hospital have all been really positive. So can I, can I give you an example and kind of talk you through maybe something that we would yeah. talk, yeah. you know, Love clients that. through yeah. in a prenatal? Okay, great. So let's take hep B after birth, right? Right. So we would say, um, okay, so usually within the first two hours after your baby is a born, um, they are going to give your baby a series of shots 
and injections. Some of them are vitamins, some of them are vaccines. Um, right now, I'll talk to you about the Hep B vaccine. So Hep B is obviously to prevent the Hep B. It's like what we all get for Hep B as well, obviously a baby dose for your baby. You have a couple options here. You can have it at birth, you can decline it altogether, or you can delay it. And this may look like a couple things. So you can delay it until right before you leave the hospital and have a nurse administer it, usually around 48 hours after. So you give your baby about two days of, you know, without anything. Or you can delay it until uh, usually around eight weeks and your pediatrician will give it to them. One thing to consider if you are thinking about delaying Hep B is will your pediatrician have Hep B vaccines at their office? So before you make this decision, you just need to give your doctor a call, whatever pediatrician you've called, uh, you've chosen, and just give them a call and ask them if it's okay if you, um, you know, delay and will they have it. Um, and then finally, you also want to think about your risk. So if you live in a place where Hep B might be around, or you have someone in your family who has a known diagnosis of Hep B, think about that risk for your child as well. But those are going to be your three options. What kind of questions do you guys have about that? And that's kind of what that looks like. And we just throw it back to the patient and then, or the client, and then they ask their questions or they ask for research about this and we're able to provide that as well. Wow. This, this is the kind of conversation that I absolutely love because mm -hmm. I think so often parents don't, you know, they don't know. And I think these are the kinds yeah. of conversations more so we, we should be having, you know, these are. You know, and, and it's so funny. I follow, we had on, her name is um, Liesl from Mommy Labor Nurse. And something that yes. she brought up was this as well. And I think it's just really important to be educated, providing the education and sharing this with expecting parents because they just, you know, it's, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And that's kind of the whole thing is, you know, it's really unfortunate that, most hospital childbirth ed, so the childbirth ed that your hospital is giving you, is usually very biased because the people who are teaching it are profiting off your birth. And so if people really want to get educated, they need to go to an out-of-hospital childbirth education like the Birth Lounge, which is something I host, or Liesl has her on. There's a, there's a million on Instagram. You need to be seeking out-of-hospital childbirth education so that you can just guarantee that it is as unbiased as possible. Of course, look into yeah. the person who's teaching it as well and make sure that they're knowledgeable because just like there's no standard of care for or standardization of what constitutes a doula, same thing for a childbirth educator. You don't actually need to be trained. You can just call yourself a childbirth educator. Mm -hmm. Can I just say it's like shocking how expensive the bill is to have a baby mm -hmm. in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't know, our whole, like I feel like Tori and I are super passionate because we like love healthcare and but we just yeah. see the cracks in our system yeah. and we want so much more for like our system. I'm really curious like okay so obviously we come from bias and we <laughs> see the one percent of the hundred percent of babies going to exactly. the exactly <laughs> um okay so let's say you're speaking to someone who we'll do two scenarios let's talk okay. to a mom who wants to go all natural potentially in home birth and then let's talk to the mom who feels more comfortable in the hospital setting and maybe some tips as to how we can make it as natural as possible sure um, the person in the hospital are they wanting pain relief or they're not wanting pain relief but they do want to be in the hospital Maybe let's do a little scenario where we would like to 
do as minimal as possible, but just okay. knowing the options, like what, you know. Cool. So home birth, um, home birth is really about stamina and mindset. Your body can do this. And that is just the bottom line is your body can do it. Um, be aware of the things that will risk you out of a hospital, out of a home birth. If you need to be in a hospital, that is such a fucking hard thing to come across. And I know that if you're planning on a home birth and you're told that you need to have your baby in a hospital, that sucks so bad. My heart is going out to you. I know that is not what you wanted for your birth. But at the end of the day, we really are trying to keep you and your baby safe. So it's not worth the risk of getting a home birth when it's not safe for you and your baby. But if you are really keen on a home birth and it is safe for you and your baby, number one, I would find a midwife that is licensed and someone who is very knowledgeable. You need to be having care done by a professional who can handle emergencies. Number two, you need to be thinking about where is your nearest hospital? I know that's not your plan, but we want to know where the Thank nearest you. hospital is and then Love we that. also want to know where the nearest level one hospital is we're trying to get you to a hospital that has a NICU you can have two you're allowed to live between two hospitals you don't have to choose you can choose in the moment whatever the situation warrants of why you might be transferring if it's just to get pain relief or because you're exhausted and you had a six-day labor go to the hospital that doesn't have the NICU not a problem if you have a baby and for some reason um, you know, your baby is born sleeping or it's a surprise Down syndrome baby, which I actually have had at a home birth. We want to know where that nearest NICU is because depending on the state that you live actually dictates what your EMS skills will be. Okay. Your state who don't have large amounts of money and they are primarily, you know, they have really spread out regions and they're primarily low-income people. You can bet that that state is not prioritizing their EMS training. And those EMS providers might come to you and not know what to do at a home birth. I had an accidental home birth in Alabama. And when the EMS arrived, it was very scary that I knew more than them. And they actually turned to me for advice. Um, so just make sure that you know the, the home birth um, kind of footing in your state. Okay. Um, and then number three, like I say, your body will do it. Your mind's going to give out long before your body will. So as long as things are looking good with you and your baby, um, then it's all about stamina and mindset. So let's shift to someone who wants to birth in the hospital, um, is trying for unmedicated, but also open and flexible to medication should they get to that place in their labor that they need something a little bit more. Um, number one, as a low-risk birther, you should stay home as long as possible. We want to make sure that you're in an environment that you feel safe, you feel cozy. Um, you know, your germs are the same at your house. You're not at any increased risk of infection. Um, you're not having cervical exams at your house, um, or hopefully you're not. No one at your house should be giving you cervical exams, unless you want to fill your own cervix, which is something that happens in home birth a lot. Home birth midwives will teach that client how to check their own cervix. Totally possible. Um, but outside people, untrained people should not do never should be giving um, cervical exams. So um, when you do get to the hospital, we want hopefully you to be past six or seven centimeters. Hopefully you're in a nice, active, 
uh, labor pattern so that you can get into the hospital room and transform it into as much of an oasis as you can. Turn the lights down. Get them to silence the beeping and the bells of the hospital um, you know, machines. Um, tell your hospital staff that you want the least amount of people in your room as possible and only essential personnel. Unfortunately, no students, um, no shadowies, no people like that, just your assigned nurse and anesthesiologist if you need that and your OB checking in or your midwife checking in. Get yourself in the bath. Ask for a peanut ball. Ask for a burst ball. Use movement. Set up speakers so that you can play water sounds, ocean sounds, birds chirping, anything that's going to ground you, right? Also I mantras. <laughs> Cardi B, Cardi B coming in hot. Have. I feel like WAP is a really good birthing song. Yeah, you know where we're at. Here. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. You can always make your own uh, labor playlist. Absolutely, right? You're trying to make labor that playlist. environment. Oh, I love that. A labor yeah. playlist. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. I love You're trying that. to make this environment, um, you know, like I say, cozy, comforting, safe. We want oxytocin at an all-time high, and we want adrenaline at an all-time low. We want your cortisol at an all-time low. We don't want those hormones that make you feel amped up. We do want those hormones that make you feel loved and relaxed and sensual, right? We want your body to be able to open up to pasture baby. And then also we want you to be moving. You got to stay upright. And even if you have an epidural, so we actually have an epidural, an evidence-based guide to epidural use that you can buy on our website. It's only $10, and it tells you all of the pros, the cons, the mixture of medication that you might encounter, um, things that you need to know after the epidural is placed so that it can not only work properly, but also you can use it advantageously to keep um, the feeling in your legs, to still push upright, to still be able to move your body, to still be mm-hmm. able to take advantage of that fetal ejection reflex, which a lot of people don't know about and or miss out because the epidural kind of mutes things a little bit, right? Right. So I would love like kind of just a background on the difference between like home birth, birthing center, hospital. Mm. And then like, I don't know, I feel like there's so many different types of home births too. And I just feel like we're, we see what we see on TV. Right. Or you see like, like you said, the one crunchy granola that's literally doing some free birth. Like I saw, I think I saw some TikTok of some girl doing free birth in the ocean. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? But (laughs) I feel like it gets a bad rap because we don't really have an actual like educational person providing what's really going on. So I feel like we see a lot of misconceptions so i would love to get the real deal yeah myth bust yeah so home birth has a lot of advantages obviously not having to leave in labor which is often one of the most annoying parts is having to transfer to the hospital after you have been in labor for so many hours you know to get to the hospital drive 30 minutes to or get in the car drive 30 minutes to your hospital it's just annoying and it's very uncomfortable um one of the kind of risk or the downsides, one of the things to be aware of in home birth is like doulas. Um, there are midwives out there who are unlicensed um, and they can be very dangerous, right? Um, a lot of times, these are the stories that we see from NICU nurses who share really bad things that happen with home births. But then when we unravel that story, 
that person should have never either been at a home birth or should have not been Mm -hmm. being seen by the provider they were being seen by. Um, Typically, bad things don't happen at well-managed home births. Also, a sign of a really good, skilled, and highly educated provider, midwife, home birth midwife, is someone who's not going to let their pride get in the way, and they transfer early. You don't wait for an emergency to transfer your patient. You go ahead and get them there so that hopefully we can avoid an emergency. Not all emergencies will be avoided, obviously, um, but you don't wait to transfer a good, skilled mild a good skilled midwife will transfer preemptively every single time. I just got goosebumps because unfortunately it's just not the standard. You know, I will say there are a ton more licensed midwives, safe midwives, educated midwives out there than there are dangerous ones, but there are certainly people out there who are practicing, um, you know, not safely. Um, Okay. So home birth, tons of benefits. Be careful about who you hire. Look into the people. Um, You can actually Google state medical license in your state to see if your midwife has a current license, if it is legal in your state, okay? Okay. Um, For birth centers, so this is a little gray area. Again, we keep circling back to these gray areas, and I have to believe it's because women's health just hasn't gotten the light or the funding or the appreciation that Mm -hmm. it needs. Um, And so we just have, like, all these like <laughs> really crazy regulations and no standard of care all all across the board. So for birth centers, um, you typically have three kinds. So you have some that look like a house and they're in a house and you're birthing like literally in a queen size bed and you're in different rooms, looks like a house, feels like a house, medical stuff happens there, okay? Then you have one that is freestanding, and it probably looks a little bit more medical, so it looks a little bit more like a hospital room, but you probably still have the queen bed, and it may, on the outside of the building, look like the house. But when you walk in, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely in a like medical setting, right? So semi-medical, semi-home. And then you have birth centers that are quote-unquote birth centers, but they are actually stationed in the hospital, and they're typically just a different wing off the L&D. So they look like a hospital, they smell like a hospital, you park at the hospital, you go into the hospital, I mean, you're in the hospital, but it's a birth center. The distinction is typically who attends the majority of the labors. It's usually primarily midwives. Um, You can find, exactly, you're going to find that they have lower um, epidural rates, probably lower induction rates. Um, We all like to think that episiotomies are not really a thing anymore. I will say they are on a massive decline, but plenty of providers still do do them. And so at a birth center, you're probably going to encounter lower episiotomy rates as well. Um, Birth centers too. So this is an interesting fact. Home birth has better maternal outcomes, but obviously a little higher NICU um, admission than hospital birth. However, we don't see that with birth centers. We think birth centers give us really great rates for both, for both mom and baby. Lower NICU rates than a straight traditional hospital birth, um, but also good maternity rates, maternal rates as well. Hospitals, um, we see, you know, the rights that we have. <laughs> we can all see right. the rights that we have with primarily right. hospital births. Um, but right. that all circles back to dividing the population into low, low, moderate, moderate, high, and high-risk people, right? Your low right. and low-moderate people, you're probably okay. Not, not probably. Low-risk people are okay to birth at home. 
low moderate, depending on what makes you low moderate, if it's just your age or if it's just the fact that you're trying for a VBAC, you can probably birth at home. Now, obviously, both of those have things you want to consider for a VBAC. It doesn't need to be um, a certain type of previous incision. You are looking for a certain amount of time in between your last birth, things like that. So there are individual factors, but low, moderate, moderate, high and high people, you probably don't want to birth at home. That's that's pretty risky. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you know this as well as I do, it's up to the patient. It's up to the client. They have to be responsible for the decisions that they make about their own health care. Um, and I think there's so many of us, I'm not medical, so I get to be a little bit more removed from this aspect than midwives, nurses, OBGYNs, um, anesthesiologists. But There are times where we've all been in these shoes where we know better for this patient. We literally know what to do to make them better or to help their baby get better or to help them avoid something. But they're just so gung-ho on making a different decision. And that sucks, but we have to respect that. It's literally part, part of our job. It's part of our duty. It's part of medical provider oath. I love that you brought this up. And actually, something that I think is, this is something that I brought up several times here. And I think it's worth a discussion. And it's the idea of when you're making your birth idea, right? Creating a birth preference versus the birth plan. I think if we're rephrasing it and sort of going up with this approach of a birth preference, because ultimately, we can, you know, set ourselves up for as much education and do all these things as much as we want. But, you know, at the end of the day, baby's really going to kind of drive a lot of this, you know, in terms yeah. of is baby coming early? Are there some factors that are out of our control? Um, there's a lot of things we can control. But I think the idea of mixing and marrying these ideas here of here is something like you, a wonderful resource, and we're learning and we're creating a birth preference. And like, this is, these are all the things that I'm well educated on. And I understand this. And these are things that ultimately I would really like for my baby. And then that kind of translating hopefully into better outcomes. And I feel like a lot of women in my experience have so much, um, you know, that it's the trauma, it's the trauma base often on the other side of feeling that loss of this was the plan. This was the plan. And they're so married to the plan. And -hmm. while I do appreciate that, and I think it's really, you know, that was really good. I think it's also a good idea to really come up with the idea of baby is really driving this and let's support baby as much as we can. And, you know, try to also, help moms in the transition period of not feeling that way because sometimes it's just, you know, baby, sometimes sometimes things happen and that's okay too. Yeah, nature. Nature is going to play a big role in birth. It's a natural event. So I'm the queen of saying controlling birth doesn't look, it's not controlling birth itself. It is controlling the decisions that are made around your body and for your baby. And that should ultimately lie with the birthing person, right? So here's the thing. Birth trauma is not typically associated with good or bad outcomes. It is typically associated with how that person is made to feel in the moment. So if they are made to feel as if they are making a bad decision, they're going to remember that way more than the moments leading up to that bad outcome. If they are made to feel as if they don't have a choice, they um, have to be induced at 39 weeks, no matter what, because it's hospital policy and their doctor just won't hear of it otherwise, 
that is going to be traumatic, even if their induction goes beautifully. And 18 hours later, they have a vaginal delivery. They push for three minutes. They have no stitching. They're still probably going to have a little bit of birth trauma because they didn't ultimately want that 39-week induction anyway. Now, some of it, there are two different types of birth trauma, too, that we have to recognize. Statistical birth trauma, there will just be bad things that happen. It, it just is going to be a thing. It, it's just the way the world works. There will always be a percentage of births that don't go well because nature designed it that way. And then the rest is usually iatrogenic, whether it be unnecessary intervention, the cascade of interventions, or that person's autonomy, you know, respect, dignity, choice-making, was stripped from them during that process. And that is where providers um, and doulas and midwives, and we're all of us, the healthcare profession as a whole, the whole industry, we've got so much room to grow here in recognizing where is the line of trauma that nature causes versus what we cause because mm -hmm. we didn't keep our hands out, because we intervened too much, because we said something you know, offhanded to a parent, and it really hurt their feelings. It really made them second guess themselves. It really made them feel as if they didn't have a choice. I think, like, I saw that in nursing school. So I watched mm. a C-section, no queasiness. I was like, this is rad. I watched yeah. a vaginal birth, and they did an episiotomy. And one, I, like, literally almost passed out because watching mm -hmm. that was, like, scarred me for life but they did mm -hmm. not ask mm -mm. like they did not say they were going to mm -hmm. do it they didn't ask like or explain the situation and say this is what I need to do and I'm doubting it was pre-discussed because this was not a native English-speaking person so I have a strong feeling that this was not something that was mm -hmm. discussed in prior OB appointments where it was like agreed upon but I'm like watch that happen and I was shocked mm. And that yeah. like scarred me for life. And I would be yeah. so fucking yeah. pissed if you did an episiotomy yeah. on me without me like asking. even giving me the options or yeah. s explaining why it needs to be done or whatever, or even giving me the option of like, if I don't do this, you might naturally tear. And I might say, let me naturally tear. I, and yeah. I know the like, research is swayed back and forth on that, on what's better, but it's like when you brought up autonomy and mm -hmm. that was like my first exposure to birth in nursing school, first day of L&D clinicals was watching that episiotomy with no consent. And I was mm. shocked that yeah. that could just be done like that. But this happens with everything. It happens with washing people's newborns who they have a plan to give their baby their first bath when they get home. It happens with Pitocin after labor where someone wants to wait and use expectant management versus active management, right? It happens with cervical exams. It happens with nurses or providers who will go in, do a cervical exam, and while I was in there, I broke your water. While I was in there, I gave you a sleep. You guys... These are, this is like borderline sexual assault. These are things that you cannot do to someone's body without explicit consent because they have the potential to change their entire labor. And that person, they deserve to be in control of the way that their labor goes in the ways that they can control in choosing or declining a cervical exam, a vaginal sweep, a 
you know, breaking their waters, Pitocin after birth, all of that are things that your patient can control. It's crazy. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Uh, and I'm hopefully there's a movement. I think there's a big movement starting to happen. And I would actually yeah. argue that, you know, the OBGYN community, midwives, all of us, you know, collectively NICU as well are trying to recognize what's going on and we're trying to move towards better what are some things that you're seeing that you think might be going in a good direction for women specifically in the U.S. but maybe in general are there any good things that you're seeing like what what's the pulse yeah um so I think people are wising up first of all I think people are starting to realize that they shouldn't be taking childbirth education from the same people who are getting paid for their birth I also think people are starting to really ask their providers about hard numbers and I think this is going to be a big motivator for providers if you're constantly having um, patients ask you you know what's your c-section rate you're not going to be proud to say oh that's 65 percent because you're going to lose all of your people who do not want a c-section right this is going to force providers to do that hard unlearning and i'm sitting here in a very privileged position where I've not been through medical school. I haven't been through all of that really. I mean, I do have a master's degree, so I have done hard education, but I didn't go through medical school. I didn't have to do, you know, residency. I didn't have to go through that initiation of like paying my dues, really scraping the shit to be a doctor. I also haven't seen all of the bad things that can happen. I'm really blessed that I get to see a lot of really good things. So I understand my bias as well. But I have also done that unlearning. I mean, I grew up in the same world that you all did, all of our listeners did, to sit down, cross your legs, be a good girl, be a polite girl, don't say no, don't fight back, don't ask questions. You know, when the person in the white coat tells you what to do, you just do it. You don't question it. You're, you're not an active participant in your medicine. I have done all that unlearning and that's actually what that that is one of my big goals is I want to help our medical professionals do that unlearning because there's a lot of good that can come from it too. Our professionals who are doing the unlearning, we're having these conversations, right? They're coming in and they're saying, all right, so it's time for a cervical exam, but only if you want it. And you definitely don't have to have it. It doesn't tell me too, too much. Your last one was six hours ago. So if you do have questions about your progress or, you know, if you did want to circle back to the idea of that epidural, now might be a good time for us to do that. But also you could wait. It looks like you're in the bathtub. It looks like you are managing just fine. I just wanted to check back in. I told you I'd come back in two hours and it's been two hours. So I'm just, I'm just checking in, right? These are the type of conversations that we're starting to see pop up right now. They're kind of like wildflowers. They are sparse and they pop up kind of intermittently, but they are growing in numbers. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait until I look out until a field of daisies and it's like actually the people who stick out aren't the good providers anymore they're the bad providers they're the providers mm -hmm. that all of their colleagues are going um that wasn't okay that you said that to that person or hey you should respect her when she says she doesn't want to be induced next week I really think you should call her and cancel that induction that you put on the calendar that she asked you not to right we should be holding our colleagues accountable um, and we do that so we do that within our team but we also do that in our larger community here in Boston 
have a few home birth questions. Yeah. Okay. First, who cleans up after the home birth? (laughs) Great question. So typically your midwives will clean up. um, And then if our team is there, we also help clean up as well. Usually it can be done in like the hour after okay. birth um usually the hour directly after birth is all like mom and baby care if there's older siblings it's a lot of like reunification you know like reuniting the family unit um but then an hour after that you can usually get it cleaned up it's really just draining the tub um they clean it all afterwards and so it's really just packing up and then you know wash any towels mm. sheets rugs that were you know, messed up, got a little messy. Do you like the recommend they like have their own like dark towels or do you guys bring that stuff? These are all like the yeah, the nitty, nitty, yeah. nitty, like, nitty gritty. Hmm, how does this work? Yeah. So your midwives will have all of that okay. or your midwives will give you a list of home birth supplies that they'll have or that, that you'll need. So a lot of it's like a cookie sheet and you need to get like a cord clamp, which you can get online. Um, you're going to need to have hydrogen peroxide, which takes out blood from fabric. So um, one of our jobs as the doula is we follow around the midwife and wherever they go, we just spray all the blood spots with hydrogen peroxide and dab it up with a towel. And then obviously that towel goes in the washer. Um, we usually feed mom and, and dad, I guess, or in the, the partner um, before we leave, things like that. It's really cozy. Where do you hang out then? Because you kind of mentioned like, oh, I'll check back in. And then like, so when you're kind of giving them that privacy moments where they're just like laboring, are you just like chill in the other room? Like yeah. reading a, like what, what are you doing? Love it's a long it. day. Yeah. Like, it's a long like day. labor can be At a night. long time. At night. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's usually like, you know, home births are typically, well, I guess like first time labors are usually like 24 to 48 hours. You can expect huh. two days. Our, our team plans for two days. Hopefully we don't have a two day labor. Um, sometimes they can be as long as six or seven days. We've had two consecutive six day labors. They were about um, a month apart. They were brutal, um, but it worked. Um, yeah. So we are, we're, we're usually just hanging out right by. So if like, Let's say that laboring person is in the is in the birth tub, so they're in the middle of their kitchen, and their partner is sitting right in front of them, saying mantras while they're laboring. I might be in the computer, just I'm um, in the corner, sitting on my computer, just hanging out. Um, if the midwives are present, they're typically taking notes. If midwives have not yet made it, our team will be taking notes just in case shit hits the fan, just in case the midwives get there and they have questions about what's been going on for the hours that they haven't been there. Our team is taking pretty intense notes for things like that. Maybe this person is actually on the toilet around backwards so they're they're facing the actual um what would that be the back of the, the toilet and they the have it, yeah. exactly and they have the pillow stacked up and they're laboring on the toilet and in between contractions they're resting their head on those stacked up pillows and they're catching some I've done sleep. that but I was hung over <laughs> not hung over I was drunk <laughs> I've, been, I've done that same exact position though in my 20s hugging the porcelain yeah. goddess yeah. See, you didn't even know you were prepping for birth, but yeah, I'm ready. ready. She's ready. She got oh, nail. Yeah. I got that position down. <laughs> so see, you're already halfway there. They're face backwards on the toilet. They are, you know, resting on the the back of the toilet on their their pillows, and I may be sitting just in the door frame, right? And if they start to sound like they are, you know, uh, struggling a little bit with that contraction, I might just pipe up and say. You're doing a really great job. Take a deep breath in and breathe all the way down to your baby. Nice work. You're doing it. 
Amy, you look really beautiful while you're doing it. This one is almost over, right? And I'm just stepping I feel like through. that coming from you is super soothing. Like, how often is it, like, if their partner says something like that to them, they're like, shut the fuck up. But then if you <laughs> say it, they're like, oh, my gosh. Because I, I even imagine, like, if Jacob yes. said that to Tori, she'd oh be like, God. shut up. Yeah, yeah. But then yeah. if you said it, like, your voice is I so think having that, yeah, yeah, that external person is so valuable. Yeah. I really I feel like I if agree. my partner told me you're doing great, you look beautiful, I'd be like, shut up. This yes. is your fault. This <laughs> yeah, is all your you fault. You did this to me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah. if you said it, I would be like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Calm me down. For sure. We have a lot of people who will, um, you know, tell their their husbands like i love you but you have to get on my face and bring me hee hee yes. or you know don't reach out for us or um you know their husband might be trying to give them water and they'll say no no like give me hee hee i want hee hee to hand me the water and the husband's yeah, like what yeah. the fuck how can you hand water good <laughs> or bad like what is going on here it just mm. is about having someone who is confident in the birth room, has seen a lot, and knows how to help you navigate those in labor questions. I really do think that's invaluable. I agree, 100%. So what's like the relationship between what you and a midwife like work together, aside from what you kind of described here, and then I didn't even know that you were on like hydrogen peroxide duty, but how else do you guys (laughs) kind of like work together and have that partnership? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's a really cohesive team. And this is true for, this is not going to be true for all doulas, but for our particular team, we work really well with hospital staff as well. My partner's in medicine, I mentioned that before. And so I... The, the hospital is comfortable to me and I've taught my team, I've trained them on how to interact with hospital staff in a respectful way, um, but still, you know, prioritizing our clients' goals. So um, how do we interact and do that partnership? I mean, you have to think that we're non-medical. So anything that's non-medical, your duels can be responsible for heating up your rice socks, um, filling up your water bottle, reminding you to breathe deeply, your nurses, your midwives, home births or hospital, and your OBs, they're preoccupied with other stuff. They're looking at your vitals. They're making sure you don't have an infection. They're reading um, your paddle boards is what we call them. So the belly bands, right? They're reading your um, your baby's heart tone. They are making sure that you and your baby are safe. That's not my job. Do I try and keep my clients safe? Well, obviously 100%. We're all on the same team there. But my job is really to keep them comfortable. My job is more mindset. My job is physical, get you to relax so that you and your baby can stay safe, right? I don't want you to be all tensed up because then you are going to have stalled progress. We're going to introduce Pitocin. It's going to cause funky fetal heart tones. Then you get really stressed out and so you're super tired and now you need an epidural. Now we have a swollen cervix and now we have a C-section that we didn't actually need in the beginning right mm-hmm. so it's it is very much a cohesive team um i really enjoy working with hospital staff when they're open to doula support um we mm-hmm. very rarely run into hospital staff who aren't friendly to us and i think it's because awesome. we we have a lot of mm-hmm. respect for hospital staff and we understand that hierarchy very clear um and we're not there to step on toes and we're certainly not there to tell people not to listen to their provider but we are there to make sure that consent is being done and that when they reach for episiotomy scissors we're going oh Tori I see that your doctor is reaching for the scissors are you okay 
somebody with an episiotomy, it looks like they might be doing one. And I have to say it just fast like that because they're reaching and they're coming to your vagina with those scissors. I might even say something like, oh, pause, Tori, I have a question. Are you okay with an episiotomy? And right then all of your medical staff is like, who is this crazy bitch that just yelled pause? But it worked, right? Because everyone paused to give me the opportunity to take mm. the control from that provider who was about to make an unconsented decision to putting it back into my client's hands of, hey, I see this is happening. Are you good with it? And that's how that works in the birth room. I could say a lot of, um, in my humble opinion, Ellen D nurses really loving kind of learning and opening our minds to this because I actually think you know we're obviously better together together and you know maybe even becoming that person that can also advocate because I'm learning as you're Mm -hmm. literally telling me that you know I there's so many things from here from today that I've even learned and I think you know together we can all really learn from this and really advocate and start shifting these conversations and really helping to improve these outcomes because you know I I mean, I don't know. I didn't know half of the things no, from same. today. And, you know, I would only imagine that so many women would want someone like that. I want to go back to this really quick. Um, how does someone go about finding one, either a really good doula or a midwife? Yeah. Um, I know you yet said we can look them up, but are there good ways to maybe start that process? And, you know, how do we navigate all this? Yeah, so to find a doula in your area, doulamatch.net is a global, I think, I want to say global, definitely in the U.S., um, so nation, definitely nationwide, I want to say global search for doulas. When it comes to midwives, if you're looking in the hospital system, you just go to the individual hospital page and you can look up um, L&D or um, OBGYN specialties. They might even have a specific page for midwives. A lot of times they're just kind of mixed in with labor and delivery. For home birth midwives, this gets a little tricky. If you live in a legal state, you can probably Google home birth midwives followed by your state's name. If you live in an illegal state, it's going to be a little bit harder. Um, this is a really tricky topic, too, because I'm a firm believer that hospital that states shouldn't be able to make home birth illegal. I feel like if someone wants to have a home birth and that's a risk that they're willing to take, it should be something that is honored by our medical system. If there's a provider who feels comfortable giving care to that person, um, you know, both of those humans are adults and they get to decide which risk they take on personally and professionally. However, um, Facebook is a really great place to start. Um, you can look up home birth community in your state's name or home birth midwives or home birth collective. Get creative on what you search in Facebook. Um, but there are there are pockets of home birth communities, even in the states that have um, restrictions around women's health care and their access to home birth for sure. Yeah. And I would imagine word of mouth is really, really valuable mm-hmm. as well. You know, learning yeah, from absolutely. people who have had successful births from various yeah. providers, I'm sure. And you know, along those same lines is you want to be asking what those people's birth goals were. So who is a great home birth midwife? They tell you, you want to ask them, what were your birth goals? And also tell me a little bit about your experience about that person. You don't want to go just nothing earthly more than to see somebody write on Facebook, like, Hey, who's your favorite OBGYN at this hospital? And then there's like, 56 comments and I want to be like but every one of those people had a different experience every single one of them had different birth goals going in if you're asking someone who was 
banking on an epidural, could not have cared less if they had a vaginal or C-section delivery, and honest to God was just done being pregnant at 39 weeks, but you're looking to have an unmedicated labor at home as long as possible, will not be induced before 42 weeks, you're asking the wrong person for a recommendation on OBGYN. So make sure who you're asking also either had a similar series to what you want or had similar goals. And then if they didn't get those, you could always dive into what happened with that provider when your birth plan had to change, when your birth preferences were challenged, when things, you know, situations in your birth changed and you needed to make different decisions. How'd your provider react to that? Were they supportive? Were they sometimes providers, especially home birth midwives can get really, really sidetracked and not sidetracked, it's more like tunnel vision where they don't want you to transfer. They are so just dedicated to this vaginal delivery happening at home. Never mind you've been pushing for eight hours. That is a person that needs to transfer. They mm-hmm. need some more support. We've just been trying to push for eight hours and it's not working. You got to give it up. Set your pride aside and help this person get some medical support before it's an emergency. Mm. It's I love really this. good advice. Yeah, it's very good. I Especially love how well rounded. Like yes. if getting recommendations from someone with the similar goals, because right. yeah. I feel like even if Tori and I were to like be pregnant, our goals wouldn't even probably be yeah, aligned. totally. We have very, very different. <laughs> exactly. Priorities. So you would need you would need different doctors. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This was the most well rounded, amazing. I'm. I'm. I'm so grateful because, this. like I said, I do. <laughs> I came into this like very biased and even like when Tori was kind of like, you know, like, oh, we're going to have this dual on. And then yeah. I like looked you up and I was like, okay, I love her. She's adorable. I don't know how I feel necessarily totally. about home births <laughs> and everything because of my strong NICU bias. But I'm so glad that we had these conversations um, and I yeah. feel like I've been very educated on things that I had very little knowledge on I've had two girlfriends who had very successful home births and they both chose not to tell me which is smart Ah, because because they knew you're biased (laughs) no I'm biased Uh absolutely and they were very successful you know and on the flip side of course there's a reason for the NICU and we're very well you know this is the kind of conversation we want to have though it's well-rounded you know and I think these are the kinds of things we're just so thankful for everything that you're doing and you know hopefully these are the kind of conversations that spark helping women ultimately well I think even the good advice of making sure you're finding a good home birth providers or whoever or in hospital stuff too because I think that does make a big difference if a lot of our bias comes from seeing outcomes that weren't good but then you find out they were from unqualified well, and also understanding, so. you know, the difference between OBGYN, midwife, and then your role, and then really being able to make an educated mm-hmm. decision on, okay, maybe I do want to try a midwife. And, um, you know, how do I go by searching that? And then, you know what, I really would love the support of a doula. So this is everything our, you brought today. what is our today. place all together? Yeah, right. We ultimately, this is I for the that. outcome of our patients. And I was fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on today, Hehe. Thanks you are for having amazing. me, guys. This was oh my God. super fun. These conversations jazz me up because 
It gives me so much hope that we can actually bridge that gap between where healthcare is now and our consumers. Mm -hmm. And that is what we're all working towards. I think it's what we all see as the most dysfunctional piece of our healthcare system. And we're paying the price every single day. So every single Mm -hmm. day that we don't get it right, it's worse maternal outcomes, it's worse infant outcomes, it's worse patient satisfaction, it's worse treatment of healthcare workers, you know, we've got to fix our system. And it really starts with these conversations being super open minded. So thanks for having me y'all. I mean, there's it's like so I much. Honestly, so this could have been like a three-hour episode because I, I still have like 900 more questions. But it's like for the sake of, we'll have to have you back. I know. Round I'm yes, very intrigued. I feel like when Tori gets pregnant one day, we're gonna have to oh, have a, just like oh my god, like so Tori do a podcast where she just does her birth plan on. Like, okay, what are we gonna yeah. do? What are we gonna do when yeah. Sam gets pregnant and she's like, I'm actually total whole birth now. Like, sign me oh up. <laughs> I can see it. When we do that. We're gonna be like. Yeah. We're oh going to need that Maury Povich come on, first of all. It's just going to be a whole situation. We'll love see. It. Um, so tell everyone, like, where your website is, your podcast, yeah, all like, the all the resources that are available, how they can find all of your awesome content. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, so you can find me at Tranquility by Hehe on pretty much any platform, uh, tranquilitybyhehe.com if you're interested in services or learning more about our maternity concierge approach. Um, thebirthlounge.com too is also a membership for people to have unbiased, uh, evidence-based childbirth education. And then my podcast is The Birth Lounge Podcast. But if you're a medical professional, the Pulse Check podcast might be one for you to check out. We talk about all the darker sides of medicine mm-hmm. and the dysfunctional pieces of where we can fix our healthcare system in the U.S. now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we we'll be checking. That. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be That's checking. That's all we're like talking about these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so Amy, much. This was on. such a quality conversation. I yeah. love it. Thank Thanks you. for having me, you guys. This is awesome. Thank you. I wanted like 900 more questions, yeah. especially about the home birth stuff. I have so many, but this we, could have been like a three hour. I might think we, we might need to do a part two, maybe down the line. Like even just a home birth 101. Yeah. I yeah. Like, I'm intrigued. I had to know who cleaned up, <laughs> but I didn't even get to ask other things. Like what do they, where do they take the placenta when they leave? Oh yeah. Or if they want to do, do they let them with keep the it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Mm. There's a, I, I got so many. Un- Delayed cord clamping. Yeah. Like my head goes to like so many things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah there's absolutely. a lot more. There's a lot more there. Monitoring. But God. That, yeah. That was cool. And I love that there's such like mutual respect coming from some such different worlds. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to be again like working together these are the kinds of conversations you know this isn't even really going against the tribe i feel like it's more of this is like bringing other people into our tribe maybe that's the way we should look at it seriously absolutely so make sure you guys head over and check her out and thank you so much as always for listening make sure you're following us on our insta that's at c-e-l-l-f-i-e underscore podcast you can find all of our goodies linked there in the bio for you and thank you so much for leaving your reviews five stars on spotify and if you leave a review on apple podcast drop your instagram handle in the review We'll reach out so that we can send you free swag bags. We have our badge pins. Yeah, what, our what? badge pins. Badge pins. We love that. Our selfie, our Selena badge pin. And honestly, we have so many stickers. I can't even keep up with all the ones that we have these I days. Know, so so 
we'll get those sent out to you. Absolutely. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned. We got a saucy little. Mm, oh, yeah. Well, speaking of home birth, we're going to find out where babies <laughs> came from next week if you stay tuned. Let's go. Hey. All right, you guys. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. Bye.